When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What up, my homie? Lisa Billu here. And if you missed part one of the powerful conversation with my girl, the venture capitalist, investor, and all-round inspiring badass, Cody Sanchez, you're really missing out on how a woman goes from living someone else's dream to tearing it all down and building her own dream life. Cody is not for freaking play. She's about making power moves and being crystal clear about what she actually wants. And she's joining us in this incredible two-part conversation to reveal the exact tactics she's used to become the powerful woman running 26 companies, walking in her truth with no care or interest for playing the good girl role for anyone else ever again. Now, in today's episode, Cody unpacks the three things every woman needs to adopt to start living her best freaking life. Now, this episode is about seeing what's possible for you and taking the most powerful ideas that you hear and figuring out how to actually use them to change your life around. Now, if this conversation brought you any inspiration, my homie, or has you pumped and ready to do something different, then I honestly request you go and leave a review. You have no idea how much a review makes a difference to the growth of this episode so that we can all collectively reach more women and impact women together. So leave a review right now and share this with a homie in your life that also needs a dose of inspiration. But without further ado, let's dive in with my girl, Cody Sanchez. Um, I didn't hear the end of these stories, but I heard two stories where you were seriously disrespected. And I was like, how did you handle them? Were you silent? And now in hindsight, what would you do? So I heard that you said that um, somebody, a manager came up to you and patted you on the head. Steve. And called you like a good gal. Yeah, that was a real story. Um, yeah, his name was Steve. Shout out if he's out there. But, you know, to be fair to that guy, which goes back to why I do wish them well, like I actually wish that guy well. I found out later he had a tragedy that happened to his family when he was young, the kind of which I can't even imagine. And so I had so much resentment and hatred for this motion from this guy, which at a base level, like what is this? It's a hand movement on top of a head. Was it a strike? Did it hurt? Absolutely not. It was an ego blow because I societally said that it could be. And yet he had gone through such trauma before that in the grand scheme of it, not that big of a deal. And so um, the thing that happened was I was quite high at a, at a finance company. And he basically walked up with me with a group of our other partners and managing directors at the firm. And before I was going to go on stage, so at a moment where I'm priming, right, you're getting ready to go out and be this other version of you, he sort of takes me down a notch and sort of pats me on the head and said, like, be a good little girl, you're up next or something like that. And I remember being so shocked that I was the opposite of what I wanted to be. Like, I want to be the Ari from Entourage, like mm. the smart little comments back. And I'm really not very good at that. And uh, so I, I said nothing. I just sat there quietly. And then I, you know, went up later. Um, so that was one of those moments that I was quiet. But in that moment, actually, the difference there, I think, is what would it have served me to clap back at him? I think it would have helped my confidence, perhaps. But in moments like that, it's more like, huh, Steve, that that didn't make me feel that comfortable. Or did you mean to do that? Because that didn't feel that great. And doing what you said, which is not shaming him. Like in today's society, I think there's a lot of like, how dare you, you know, do X, Y, and Z. I wouldn't go that far. I'd just go, oh, I didn't really like that. I don't like when people touch my head. Do you mind not doing that again? It made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and kind of brushing it off. And instead sticking with the moments where you're like, oh, no, this could be a decision that would have a serious outcome, like investing with somebody, becoming a partner with somebody, marrying with somebody, and being able to tell the difference between the moments that are 
ego-driven and the moments that can change the trajectory of your life. Yeah, because I, I, then I heard you say that you've had like, oh, if I could count the amount of times that in the corporate world someone grabbed my ass. Yeah. Did that uh, ever happen to you? In any, well, you ran the businesses. Somewhere. It was, a, yeah, it was very yeah. different. But to be honest, I've had, I've been patted on the head. So I'm five foot one. Oh, you've been, oh. And I've been patted by women, by one particular woman. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. And I have, and she, the first time I was like, oh, that's cute. She's like, oh, little Lisa. And oh. I was like, oh, that's, that's cute. Fine. I've been called little Lisa a lot. Um. And then she kept doing it. Oof. And I was like, oh, this is an ego thing. Um, now, back then, I didn't necessarily have the confidence to speak up. And now, to your point, I would address it because it becomes, it isn't just an ego thing for me because it's not like, oh, you're trying to belittle me. It's kind of like you're trying to do this for your own ego yeah. to make yourself bigger. Yeah. And I'm so strong on boundaries now and being treated in a way that I think is very respectful, I would definitely point it out and I wouldn't be cruel. I wouldn't like scream or yell. That would be yeah. my, like back then, I think like that would have internally to my, to your point about, you know, like you, you have that thing inside and you're just like quiet in yeah. it. I beat myself up that I didn't say anything. And so now I think I would say something, but I would say something in a very direct way, in a very strong way and let someone this, you know, this doesn't fly, but not in a way that made them feel shameful, but in a way that let them know, hey, you can never do this to me again. And even in those moments where it's like, now I just have trained myself. Right? It's like going into the gym. I think when someone's trying to get fit, that first step of walking into the gym can be so damn paralyzing. Mm -hmm. You never go to the gym, mm -hmm. but once you go for the first time, then you go again. That's oh, easy. Like here's a parking spot, and here's how you figure out the machine. And so the the practice of doing things that scare you, I think, then train you to get better, so that when those moments come, you feel like you have the confidence. And um, I've really heard you talk about your fears and how you've trained your fears, which I love. Um, but tell me, tell me about the fear that you were afraid of heights. Oh yeah. And you, uh, what was it that you were trying to climb? M Mount Baker. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't mind sharing that story, because I actually, there's so much power in conquering your fear or not conquering your fear. Yeah. So, um, I think heights is one of the top five fears that humans have. And I'm one of those. I don't like heights whatsoever. And, um, speaking of poorly setting boundaries, I said yes to a trip to technical climb mountain called Mount Baker. And I actually just didn't think very much. You're roped up to a team of other people with ice axes and crampons, so the, the steel clips on the bottom of your feet, and a helmet, and um, special boots, and um, you're falling in crevasses on you know this this mountain. It's a whiteout. You can't see anything happening. Um, it was everything that I wish it was not. Uh, it was awful. And I also don't like the cold. So it's freezing cold. And we're climbing on like the, the peaks of these volcanoes and off of this um, hillside. And I'm pretty categorically miserable. And, uh, and what was interesting for me in that climb is I did it, I think, because I was like, I, Cody Sanchez, am a type of human that conquers fears. And so watch me. I shall climb this mountain and it'll be great. And I probably am tougher than all these other bitches, you know? And they were like girlfriends of mine. But I'm like, Stace, I'm way tougher than you. And uh, and then as we're climbing, I'm like, oh my God. You know, I'm one in my head. I'm like, I kind of miss this other stuff that I was wanting to do at home at the moment. I had really hard stuff I was working on in my business, which was like the hard that I wanted to do. And now I'm like fake manufacturing difficulty climbing this mountain. So I was kind of getting pissed about it, but I was like, all right, I'll just finish it. And it's four days. How bad could this be? And we get all the way up to, um, the right before you summit Mount Baker. So it's like on the second or third day of the hike. And, um, we're past base camp. We're almost to the summit and it's a whiteout. You can't see anything. And, um, Climbing, technical climbing mountains is also a real joy because you have to carry, uh, you know, anything that comes out of your body uh, <gasps> the entire time on you in little bags, too. So if you have to go to the restroom one or two while you're roped up to your friends, you have to go stop. Everybody, please turn around. And you're doing you're roped up to people Whoa. with the bag. I mean, it's miserable. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I'm at the very top. We're paused before we're going to go summit the ice wall. 
at which point the ice wall is you have to step sideways uh, up the ice wall, which is however many hundreds of feet, with your ice axes. And don't fall because you fall. You're going to hang on the rope. You could pull everybody else down. Um, and I was starting to feel a little off. And I, like my stomach was hurting and I was stressed that I was going to have to poop on a rope with a bunch of women. Like that didn't sound great. And, um, and at some point I just looked around and I was like, why? Wait, what am I doing? Why am I trying to get to the summit? I never wanted to be a mountaineer. This isn't on my bucket list. I feel perfectly comfortable with myself. And so I just looked around and I was like, I looked to one of the guides and I was, I was like, would it mess us up if I wanted to go down back to base camp on the second level? Uh, or could a guide take me? And they're like, oh no, it wouldn't mess it. So I was like, everybody else could keep going. And they're like, yeah, totally. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down. And all the other women were like, oh, how, what do you mean? Like, are you okay? Can we help you do this? I mean, I think somebody handed me a fucking quest bar actually. <laughs> I should ask Steffi. I think they did. They're like, are you hungry? Do you need more fuel? I was like, no. I was like, actually, I'm really good in this decision. I'm going to go down. And, um, Anyway, so I start going with the guide. We, we, we sprinted down that mountain. I mean, I don't think I've ever moved so fast. We get down to base camp. I lay down. I'm like, oh, I'm going to sleep. Everything hurts by this point. Your feet are bleeding all over the place. Everything's all ripped up. I'm laying in my tent and I close my eyes. And all of a sudden, it's like I had taken three uh, pills of LSD or something. I am tripping balls, at which point I realize I have severe altitude sickness. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't summit because who knows what would have happened at the top. And at that point, I thought, you know, you get to choose your hard and life will give you hard no matter what. I truly believe that. We are here to struggle and to realize that we are capable. And once you realize that, you don't have to manufacture hard that is not meant for you. And I do think in this day and age, there's a lot of us who say, but I should be an entrepreneur because it's the hard thing to do, but I should have a child because it's the human experience. And it's like, you get to choose your hard and nobody else does. And I felt more freedom from not accomplishing that thing that I did not actually want than many accomplishments that I've actually had, which was hard for me because I'm not sure I've ever set out on a goal like that and not accomplished the thing. And yet I was happier than ever. So that was Mount, Mount Baker. It's Don't such, do it. It's such a powerful story though, because to your point and just digging into your story, dude, the stuff that you've accomplished is just insane, like insane. And so to think about that and to think about being that person that like has a very strong mind goes and does this thing. And then I don't want to say give up, but like you do kind of turn around. Totally. And so then to hear that you now are just like the, the lesson that you've learned is like, no, I'm very proud of myself. And that the fact that you learned that lesson of like, don't just do hardship because it's hard. Choose the stuff that actually uh, resonates with the person that you want to be with the goals that you have and not other people because you even said at the beginning it's like I don't even know why I was climbing this bloody mountain in the first place but you just get in that perpetual motion of people telling you that you should then it's the challenge that you're like oh well I can't say no and where does that lead end up le leading a life that you don't actually love it's so true I mean who who celebrates the things that you let go of and the things that you failed at very few people. Actually, Astro Teller, he was the head of Google X. Um, so that was Google's incubation lab, right? So they they have all these wild ideas. And one thing that's cool about Astro is outside of his office on the wall, he has a resume and it's his failure resume. It's all the things that he has failed and done wrong. And so we actually copied that from him and one of my other friends, Alex, and inside of my office and now the office that we just bought um, is sort of a board. And on the board are all of the bad investments we've made are all of the things people have said about us that were that were bad and stuck not all the ones on the internet because there's too many <laughs> but like you know all of those things that you almost want to keep inside uh and instead mm. i display them and the reason why is because they're little badges of of honor in some way like this difficulty happened we overcame them and i never want to forget those i want to continue to take inventory of them because what happens is when you put your failures up to the light, they're much harder to forget. They're right there. Right. And so it's been a helpful exercise for us. So how did then in those moments, because I, I hear the freaking power go, I hear it, but also 
Is it because you're okay with the failures? Because I can also imagine that yeah. if you've got them there in the light with the lights, like it's like a blasting siren every time you walk into your own back that you're a failure. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you use that as motivation and not something that actually brings you down? I think you have to allow yourself a, a period of um, grief. Like allow yourself that period when someone passes and you're sad, when a failure happens and it's too fresh. Maybe it doesn't go on the wall yet. Give yourself that. But at some point in time, as long as you are still breathing, you will overcome it. And at one point in your life, whatever point that will be, you will look back and think, oh, that's not so big anymore. And at that point, you put it on the wall. Mm. And so you don't have to do it that same day if that doesn't motivate you. If it motivates you after you've already overcome it, just don't forget it. Put it somewhere quiet. Put it in a notebook that you don't have to look at. Because I think one day, being able to look back at all the moments that you almost broke and realize that you didn't is an incredible stack of evidence of what you can overcome in the future. You know, a lot of people say that you should... You should stack up all of the accomplishments that you've had in your life, and you can look back on those and feel inspired by them on a go-forward basis. I actually like to do the opposite. I want to stack up all the difficulties I've had, all the failures, all the moments that I was almost broken, because you don't, you don't get scared or challenged by the accomplishments that come, you know, when, when a new accomplishment, when, when Lisa gets her most viral video or when, you know, you hit a new revenue goal, you're not like, oh, this is hard. You're like, that's great. And maybe you celebrate a little bit and then on to the next one. But when you get sued for the first time or when somebody steals from you or when your heart gets broken, you need a moment of inspiration in that. And one of the best moments of inspiration, I think, is to go back and look at the last time your heart was broken and realizing, oh God, I forgot about Sean entirely. I felt the same way though. Okay, maybe one day I'll feel like that about Brad. And failure, I love Brad. <laughs> um, and failure also, when you talk about it, I don't know if you've noticed, people resonate more with you because you're talking about your failures. That's true. They don't think of you, put you on this pedestal. And that was the one thing. Like, I never want anyone to put me on a pedestal because I have failed so many times. And I think that there's so many lessons to your point in the failures. I definitely, um, now I think I've gotten better. But like before, like seeing my failures in broad daylight was just too painful for me, especially the ones that really not only almost broke me, but ones that actually broke me. But I got back up. Yeah. And so those I think are very hard to see. But I heard this study where this guy like hired these um, two actors and they're selling like blenders. And so they go to the mall, you know how like back, I haven't been to a mall in ladies, but you know, back in the day where they would like do these demonstrations to sell yeah. like the blender. And so he hired these two actors and one of the actresses does, uh, puts in like the food and like the protein powder and does everything amazing. And she looks perfect and she like blends it and then gives it out to the thing. Then they have another actress that comes in and she puts in like a bunch of ingredients and she forgets to put the lid on and she's a bit of a mess and she forgets, she presses on, it splashes everywhere. Who do you think sold more blenders? The second one? The second one. Wow. Because she was more relatable because everybody else was like, oh my gosh, she's just like me. Yeah. And so like really going to, if you can understand that that was just a study done, I remind myself of that study now every time that I fail because I'm like, oh, this is an inspiration. Like even if it's not an inspiration for the other people, it can be an inspiration for myself because I can look at it and go, oh, there's joy to be found in the mess up. There's joy and lessons to be found in the mess up. So true. It's kind of like we talk about something called the Taylor Swift effect, which is I became fascinated by how people love this woman and just the raving fans she has. And so I, I started thinking, why? Actually, I was talking with one of our friends, Vanessa, about it. I'm like, why is it about Taylor Swift? I like her, but I don't, like, what is it exactly? And what we realized is, is that she turns her pain into her product every time. Breakup, product. Breakup, product. You know, difficult thing that happened with uh, the guy that we were talking about, the agent. Um, then she releases like all new albums that are just the Taylor Swift thing. And so I think the Taylor Swift effect is basically how can you be so real and raw that every time somebody is going through their most vulnerable moment in time, they will think of your product, your song, your words. So their heartbreak and the thing that helps them get through it are the words from a Taylor Swift song. When their friend is um, 
you know, when their friend lies, cheats and steals from them, they hear bad blood. Like, and that trigger point is the moment at which, if you think about it historically, that's what, that's what cults did, right? They basically would find people at those trigger point moments and they would imbue them at that moment with their gospel, whatever it was. And she's doing that in a positive manner. And so I think her turning her pain into her product and then finding her trigger moments in her fans or clients and inserting her product into that moment meant that every time we are in our feels more than anything else, her product's going to come in front of us. And I don't know if she did that thoughtfully, but if I'm to break it down, that's the way I see it. And I think it's fascinating. It's such a business mind as well. It's like, why does this work? How does it work? Um, I do think that that's powerful. I'm not really, I don't really listen to many Taylor Swift songs, but, um, it can also be, depending on who you listen to, a detriment because um, have you heard now about like the depression porn, like content, where basically like there's content out there that's all about like real sad stuff and people watch it. And if you're feeling depressed, you go to that because it makes you feel better because there's other people out there like you. Oh, the problem is I think it keeps you stuck. Yeah, It's like when I'm down and sad, to your point that you mentioned earlier, like give yourself time to cry, yeah. but then you better freaking be putting on some like Beyonce, some, you know, Destiny's Child Survivor. That's like one of my best songs. I just yeah. put it on and it gets me amped because I know I can't stay there. Yeah. And so what do you turn to in those moments where you're to your knees? Are you turning to something that's going to keep you there? Or are you turning to something that can be empowering to then pull you back up. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. I, when I'm down, I move. I think your physical state is very much tied to your mental state and moving my body feels easier than changing my mindset. 
often. Mm. Sometimes Mm. it's just hard to get out of your brain and stop feeling sad or stop feeling upset. And so perhaps you're actually doing the same thing with the song. What do you do? You don't stand here and listen to like uh, to a Beyonce song like this, right? Like (laughs) you're, you're moving around. Mm. And so your physical state ends up changing your, your mental state. And, and so, um, I think there's sort of like, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, when I was thinking about this conversation, I'm like, what are like the four levels to change? And I think, you know, the first level of change is, you know, you change your context. So if I was feeling sad, like when I got a divorce, I moved, left the house, left the city. So I think you change your location. Then I think you move your body. Then I think, uh, then you, then I think you fill your, your brain with some different you know, information, maybe it is this songs, dancing. And then I think you try to evacuate those thoughts out of your head. And so, you know, it's change your context, then it's move your body, then it's change what you fill yourself up with. And then finally, you can get rid of those things inside you that you don't want to keep any longer. But for me, I could never just jump to the end. I had to start with the things that I could control. Like, you know, right now, if I'm like, Lisa, give me five push-ups. You can do five push-ups even if you're crying. If I'm like, Lisa, be happy. You're like, yeah, motherfucker, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to do. Hmm. And so, but it's also hard to be really upset if you're jumping up and down, doing jumping jacks, doing push-ups, you know, lifting weights and listening to a great song. Yeah. God, I love that. And as you were saying about moving as well, like even changing cities, um, it reminded me of that study that you've spoken about, about in business when you're around, if you're an A player and you're around B players. So actually explain that study because I really do think it links to the people around you can either keep you stuck, but changing your environment and your friends or people that you're around can absolutely help you change your state of mind. To me, it is scientifically proven that the people around you influence who you are in ways that you don't even want to begin to understand. Because if you are in a group right now of people who do not have the desired life that you want, you are looking at your future. And the study, this one in particular, showed that it was through a series of multiple companies, hundreds if not thousands of people. And what they found is that if you seat a uh, a top performer around colleagues that are normal performers, it'll increase those normal performers' performance by about 15%. And if you seat a poor performer around your normal colleagues, it will decrease their performance by 30%. So if you make $100,000 a year, I think about it like, well, if you sit next to a top performer, you might be able to make 115. Not because you're better, not because you're smarter, not because you're different, but because you're inspired by the energy that's contagious. If you sit next to a poor performer, that $100,000 could very quickly become $70,000 because you are sitting next to somebody that is in an energy drain that is non-motivational and that is bringing your performance down. So one, how can you be the type of human that's the former and not the latter? And two, how can you lovingly wish them well, but not surround yourself with people that are poor performers? Because even if we don't want to believe it, we have all felt it. You get done with a conversation of people gossiping. Do you ever feel better? No. You get done with a conversation like this, being around people, you're like, oh, that's such a good idea. Oh, I want to write that down. You listen to an incredible podcast because maybe you don't even have friends that are inspirational. You have that same energy feeling. You get done watching a trashy Real Housewives of whatever show. How do you feel? Depressed. And so really being thoughtful on, you don't have to be better all the time. Maybe just input a few better things into your life and watch how much easier that little breath of willpower begins to build. Mm, I love that so much. So how do you start to take inventory about the people that are around you? I'm very conscious now about how I feel with people. My therapist actually uh, has a beautiful thing. Um, She basically tells us to take our body temperature. And so um, when, you know, I'm a fiery Latina, my husband's former military guy, we can clash, right? And, uh, And so when we were fighting, we tend to be pretty technical. So we would focus on very specific things like, you know, but you did this and you did this. And so we were kind of negotiating reality. And instead, she started stopping us and saying, okay, uh, I want you to sit right now. You're a little elevated. What do you feel in your body? And I'd be like, pissed off. She's like, not a feeling. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that's an emotion. What do you feel in your body? And I'd be like, I'm a little hot. Okay. Like my chest is a little tight. Okay. Um, 
you know, I clench my hands sometimes. If I start feeling uncomfortable, I move around a lot. Um, you know, I might like start looking other places, right? And she's like, I want you to note all of those things because you have all of these little red flags that go up in your body every time you start feeling something. And usually we ignore them. We just don't pay attention to them. We block them out. She's like, what if you start realizing what your body's already telling you? And I was like, it's fascinating because now I can tell when I look at Chris, my husband, I can tell when he's starting to get slightly elevated. He'll like start to do this to his ear, right? And you can tell the triggers on other people, but do you know them in yourself? So now when you are in a conversation next with people, start to see how you feel afterwards. Start to see how you feel during. Oh, they're talking about this. Oh, I kind of got that tingle right there. I'm a little tight. And that will usually tell you, are you around people where your dream outcome is their everyday reality? Or you're around people where their everyday reality is your nightmare. And I really start to question that continuously. And then the last thing I'll say on it is like, I don't believe that we should just throw people by the sides and not help them. That's why you and I both have a platform where we talk about this publicly. But I'm not good enough to be one-on-one with people that bring me down. I'm not a Buddhist monk. I can't do it. And so I know that. And I do one-to-many instead of one-on-one. So if there are people that need help emotionally or, you know, spiritually or physically or whatever, they can listen to all of my content that I put out there, but I won't one-on-one engage with people that are going to pull me down because I'm not strong enough to do that. And so giving yourself some grace and knowing that that's okay, I think is really important. You can still help people, but you do not have to meet them at their level. How do you then start to meet the people that are at your level? Oh, yeah, that's a good. I think you want to do, you know, if you want to be a if you want to be a cool person, do cool shit. And I think that's the easiest thing. Like people who are cool want to be around other people who are cool. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean like actually, you know, cool like we were in high school. I mean, curious, building something, experimenting, trying something, asking a lot of questions, um, trying to make their mark on the world. I think the best way to be around really inspiring people is to try to do something inspiring yourself. And you'll be so surprised what happens when you start doing that. I mean, think about you and I were both talking about it. When we were first trying stuff on the internet, we didn't look cool, you know, like we we're a cringe city, right? <laughs> and now maybe people think it's cool, but only do we get to meet people like each other because we tried to do this inspiring thing, you know, verdicts out to see if we, we achieved it. But, um, that is the secret is like, I don't believe in networking at all. I believe you do really interesting things to you and you try to build and make your mark on the world and you will just find other builders. You will not be able to stop them from being attracted to you. I love that. Yeah. When people say to me, you know, how do you find somebody or like even in a relationship, I'm like, well, where's the person that you would, you would want to be with? or who you want to be with, where would they go? Yeah. And so like, if they yeah. have a growth mindset, because I think that that's really the key to any relationship. Yeah. It's not even communication. You need the growth mindset to then be open to having the communication discussion. Um, and so where do people with growth mindset go? Go there, right? Like go onto websites, go onto these different, and I know it's not easy, but that's what I would start with. Um, and then the one thing I wanted to ask you, dude, you're so freaking fire. Like I love your person, like your person. This is actually the first time we've met in person, but you're so freaking badass. And what I want to know is, do you have a negative voice in your head that's telling you you're no good? Just one? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, um, for sure. You know, there's, there's like a little army back there of, of little Cody's or whatever it is inside there that's saying like, you can't, how did that sound? Oh. You know, perfect example. After I get on, done on a podcast like this, I'll typically listen to it and I'll go, Oof. I say the word actually a lot. Or I'll go, ah, can you believe how many times I said this instead of this? So there's always like a little critic. And I think the only way that I have moved forward with that is to see them as a small little guide. They're like my little bumper rails. Mm. And usually the things that they have to say have some bearing in truth. You know, it's like, Oh yeah, you could pay a little bit more attention to that. That's fine. Or, um, mm, did you fib about that? Like, you know, do, are you sure that like you're, that's what you want to do? You know, th- I think the little voices inside of us are by and large kind of trying to help and they just, they're scared for us. You know, they, they don't want us to fail. You know, they, 
also are sometimes a byproduct of the other people we've let into our lives. And so um, there's somebody famous who used to have this um, thing she talked about called the table, and now I can't remember who it is. Anyway, so she basically said, imagine like every time you have one of those little negative voices in your mind, imagine a conference room table. And usually there's like different voices saying different things to me. So let's say I'm coming on Lisa's podcast and I'm nervous about it. There's like the one that's like, oh, um, what if you mess up? Okay. That's you. I see you right there. You're sitting there. Then this, this person like, are you sure that you have enough to communicate? You know, what if your alarm doesn't go off? Uh, you know, you're going to be late, like all the little things. And you, I see them like as little humans around Mm -hmm. a table. And basically what she says then is you go to each one of them and you just repeat back, you know, you're scared that the alarm isn't going to go off. Why don't we set it for this morning? Let's double check it. Would that be okay? Okay, that feels okay. You think that you don't have enough to share. Do you want to maybe put together a few thoughts somewhere? And maybe if we do that, then you'll feel more comfortable. Okay, would that be enough? Yeah. And I like negotiate with them around the table until finally by the end, I can go to sleep at night. And so the conference table helps me when those little things, when the little gremlins are at play. I love the conference table analogy. I always thought of it as like, oh, I call it like she used to be the bitch in my head. And now she's like my BFF. Because to your point, yeah. she's just got my back. Yeah. She's just trying to warn me of all the things um, that I may worry about. Um, and But that critic can really paralyze people. And once I started to realize the critic was actually my coach, it like changed everything for me. Um, but I think people think that just because you show up confident and like a freaking badass, and especially because you're very successful, people are like, oh, she must think that she's got it all. But You can do that when you can manage and control the voice in your head. But when the voice in your head is actually leading you versus what you actually want to do, it can become crippling. It's true. What, what, what made you flip on that? I just, I'm so goal oriented. And so to your point of like, okay, what am I about to do? Why am I doing it? So my husband, um, I got invited to go public speak a lot. And I just kept saying, no, I was like, why would I do that? Like, that seems so petrifying. That doesn't make any sense. And my husband called me on it. He's like, babe, you said that your mission is to help people. And I was like, it is. And he's like, but then why don't you get on stage? Because you've just been invited to be able to help thousands and thousands of people. I was like, God damn you, Billy. You know, and just like, I was like, okay, he's got to, he's right. But I'm too scared. And I was like, the the voice in the head is saying, Lisa, you're going to mess up. And so I was like, okay, what is she, how do I get rid of this voice that she doesn't stop me anymore? She's saying mess up. Okay, what if I actually mess up? I need mm-hmm. a game plan. I need a game plan for if I mess up. And so then I realized, oh, she's trying to help me so that if I messed up, I don't freeze on stage. That would really knock my confidence. But I wanted to show up. So being able to come up with a plan of what I was going to do. And I realized it was like, you know, parents with kids. So it's like the kids look at the parents and be like, should I cry? And when the parents like, oh, ha, 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 you're so silly, the kid may just laugh. So I was like, oh, that's going to be your plan, Lisa. When you go on stage, just laugh. And so I ended up doing, um, I had steps to make sure that I would do a, um, a talk on stage. And the step one was just say yes. If the thing that you're fearful of, just say the next person that offers me this, I'm just going to say yes, like make a promise to yourself. That was one step. Then it was sadly, the first thing I said yes to was a TEDx talk. <laughs> That's amazing. That was like my first spe- my first first speaking gig ever. So I go on stage and within the first two minutes, I end up like um, totally messing up. And I said that my my father gave birth to my grandmother, and I was like, oh shit! And I was like, well, that would be weird. And everyone just started laughing, and I started laughing, and then I moved on. But that taught me a very hard lesson and a beautiful lesson that. The voice in my head is not bad. The voice in my head isn't trying to hold me back. The voice in my head is just trying to help me learn that if I mess up or if I do this thing, what are the things I'm not consciously aware of? Instead of saying, hey, you need a plan B. It's not saying that it's like, hey, you're going to fuck up. But what is actually trying to teach me? So that's so good. Yeah, I think I think also um, like kind of like you said, I like the becoming friends with it. I like that idea of, you know, can you actually become friends with your critic? Can you shake hands? Can you walk alongside them? Can you see them as your older version of you, the younger version of you? I think it's really powerful. My grandmother always used to say to me, you know, you take a picture and you don't like the picture of you. You're like, oh God, I look fat there. I look bad there. I look whatever. And my grandmother, in one instance where I was doing that, looked at me and she was 89 and she said, honey, when you're 89 and you look back on all these, 
you're going to think you were hot in every once. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I sort of channel her and I think of like my 89 year old Cody looking back and thinking, gosh, you know, that was pretty incredible. Or looking back and saying, man, what do you do when you're old? When you're old, you sit around kind of in your rocking chair, right? You have your coffee or your tea and you share stories. You're not climbing mountains anymore. You're probably not giving speeches on stage. So what do you need to have when you're 89? You need to have some fucking good stories. And so maybe the one where you talk about your dad giving birth to your grandfather, uh, maybe that's a story that you get to keep. And so we want to just accumulate a bunch of those in our lives. Yeah, I love that. But I'm going to challenge you. I absolutely am going to be giving speeches in my 90s. I just met a woman. I interviewed her for my show. She was 102 and she just wrote a book on longevity. Wow. She's a doctor and she's so cognitively there. And she talks about one of the things that keep people alive, the way she's been able to be so cognitively aware and present, even at 102, is your juice. And what she calls your juice is your mission. I love that. And she's like, the second you let go of your mission or the second you stop juicing, she's like, I've seen people die around me. And she's like, you just got to make sure that you've always got the juice. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Interesting. I love that. That's like that 97-year-old or whatever that hiked Everest. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I think there is something about, I mean, my grandmother is 95, 96, and uh, she golfed until she was 90. And um, she was widowed for 45 years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so inappropriate, but I feel like this channel can handle it. Uh, I uh, So we took her to Chicago. This is probably like 10 years ago or 12 years ago. And she told me, you know, she'd been, she'd been widowed for 40 some odd years. And um, so I was like, oh man. And I don't know why, but it just came out of my mouth. I was like, grandma, when's the last time you had sex? And she, and she was like, uh, it's been a while, Cody. And I'm like, like, how long? She's like 20, you know, however many years, decades, right? And I was like, God, do you have a vibrator? And she and she looked over at me and she was like, I don't. Should I borrow yours? Because she didn't know what it was or what I was talking about. Incredible. So oh to this day, God. you can just imagine me, my grandmother, my mom, my mom dying <laughs> as my grandmother asked to borrow my vibrator. And sometimes I just think like that is the energy that I want to have. I know. I was going to say like in our in our 90s, we absolutely should be having our vibrator and uh we'll know what they are yeah. though, at least well, <laughs> that's so know. true yeah that's we'll at least so have that and if we're not having sex for 20 years yeah well speaking of just like being body strong which i like to think of it as you've actually said there's three things that you really believe that we all need so it's a strong mind a strong body and a strong bank account yeah it's sort of the underlying mission of contrarian thinking it's our juice i really believe that first all freedom starts with financial freedom because it's really hard to be able to philosophically explain yourself to fight for the battles that you want to fight if you can't pay your rent or get food to your family. Really hard. So that's why we started talking about money at Contrarian Thinking. It's not really because I care about being rich or making a bunch of rich people richer. It's because I think that if we all sort of have our basic needs met and realize there's abundance out there, we can go pretty far. And, um, and then, you know, I started to realize, man, if you have a bunch of money, but you're sick and you're fat— and you're sad in your body, the money doesn't really matter. You need to have a strong mind and a strong body. And I think in this day and age, we really, we should celebrate all different types of bodies, but we should be really thoughtful on making sure we push people to be healthy because we don't do that very well in the US. And then I think finally we can get to our mind. I think our mind is the hardest thing to conquer um, because it's there's so many tentacles to it. You know, I think about it a little bit like like a hydra. It's got all of these heads that you have to figure out. Money is actually, I think, one of the easier things to break through. But your mind is is difficult. And so I think um, at contrarian thinking, we try to get you to the pinnacle, which is, you know, can you be a self-actualized human who can really think for yourself? Um, and we just we just launched an Instagram account actually focused on this with the idea that I loved the Stoic movement. You know, I think what Ryan Holiday has done is really, really cool. I'm a big fan. Um, and I thought we needed one additional level, which is Stoicism is like whatever happens in life, 
you know, I will handle with sort of this calm ability to think uh, rationally about it. And I kind of think we need one level on top of that, which is I'm not just going to stand by calmly to all that's around. Not that that's what I'm saying uh, stoicism is, but I'm going to really think critically about the world around me. And I think today we are there's an assault on our intelligence, on our attention. And so contrarian thinking is this, it's a pushback. I want to get to the greats who questioned all things and stood out from the herd. And I think that's what you guys do here. You're willing to be that devil's advocate you talked about. And I hope that's what we can do. We can start shining a light on humans that said things that at the time people thought they shouldn't have. We need more of that in this world. How do you find comfort and security in questioning everything? Because I think that that does start to unravel maybe people's beliefs, right? And so it's like there is that comfort in staying where you are and thinking the way that you think. And so how do you start to question everything? And how do you find it empowering? There's a, a gentleman that I follow by the name of uh, Don Dipani. And uh, he's he's a monk. And, um, one thing that he says that I really liked is, um, he sort of has this reflection of who are you? And so, you know, he asks questions like, Lisa, who are you? Are you your body? And it's like, well, no, because your body changes over the years. So you're not your individual body. Plus, uh, you know, at some point you can tell that there's still a body there, but somebody's died. So, okay, you're not your body. Are you your beliefs? Well, no, because your beliefs change from when you thought you were a dinosaur when you were three to, you know, whatever Lisa thinks now well into her adulthood, right? So you're not your beliefs because your beliefs morph over time. Okay, are you your thoughts? Well, no, because you can hold this critic in your head that you can hear at the same time as your awareness in the front is saying, like, I don't agree with that. So there's two things going on inside your head. So what actually are you? And when I play that game with myself, then I am very easily able to believe to break any belief system because I realize they're not me. I, I'm not, I don't actually believe in people saying, I am an alcoholic, I am an addict, I am a Republican, I am a Democrat, I am XYZ. I don't think humans are one thing. I think we're many things that probably change over time. And so that's why it's okay to question everything because you're not your beliefs. You're that thing inside that has the ability to question. That's it. Like at the base level, that's what I actually believe. We are just the ability to question things. And if that's true, then maybe we have a moral imperative to actually do some questioning. I love that so much. But why do you think then we label ourselves as things? Because it's not even you're labeling other people, you label yourself. Now, look, I want to say to people at home, I am, I don't have, uh, I haven't been addicted to things. So I want to make sure that if anyone at home is recovering, that we're not triggering anyone. Um, But the the labeling of things, why do you think, is there security in being part of a pact? Yeah, I think it's acceptance. And, you know, to your point, I think I really don't believe in shoulds either. Do you. I'll do me. And I really won't listen to you telling me what to do. And you probably shouldn't listen to me either. And your best advice is probably just to listen to your own. But um I think that we all want to be accepted. It comes from, you know, survival and Darwinism Mm -hmm. all the way back in the day when you could not exist as a human once you stepped outside of a a tribe, very difficult to exist. And so, of course, we want to pride ourselves on acceptance because it could be very dangerous to step outside of the herd. If you've ever been to Africa or watched National Geographic, you see what happens. Animals have safety in numbers and humans are really at the base level no different. And so I think that's why we like to label ourselves. But, you know, even my friends that are X or Y or Z, I think when you dig at it, when you poke at it a little bit, they're like, of course, I'm not only that one thing. I just, I have that aspect that is one side of a many-sided diamond that I am. And uh, that's at least a belief that I have that I feel serves me. So, Mm. you know, try it on. I love that what serves me, that final part, because I, again, I'm so goal oriented. And then when something happens, does this serve my goal? Does this serve the person I want to be? Yes or no. And if I've identified the person I want to be, and then I ask myself this question and I say, no, this doesn't serve the person I want to be, then it's easier for me to let it go. A hundred percent. Um, and you know, what was I listening to the other day? Something where they, um, they were talking about, you know, when we plant a seed, um, we don't expect a flower to grow immediately. We don't expect a tree to grow except within years. And if say we were to plant a fruit tree, you would plant the seed, you would wait 
days and days, maybe weeks and weeks, until something tiny would sprout. And then that tiny thing to sprout, turning it into an actual tree, would take years and years. And then for the tree to actually bear fruit would take more years. Mm-hmm. And so we just know that naturally, seed to tree takes some time. And yet, when we want to hit our goals, or when we want to hit our expectation of change, we shame ourselves when we don't pay attention to it daily or weekly, or Lord help us, years and we don't change. And so I like to go back to the seed often and realize if I want to change this relatively big thing that feels maybe like the size of a tree, it might perhaps take me years. And that is perfectly okay. And it's okay for you too, or for me. So then do you then put in those incremental steps? Because if something takes 10 years, I think that that's where a lot of people then hesitate to make that change, right? Even going all the way back to where we even started from. The idea where when you were younger, you met this guy, you married him, you had a dream, you bought the house, you bought the house, right? Like that took, how long were you actually married for? Like four years, okay. something like that. Yeah. So four years. So that is a time that now you can't get back. And yeah. so now to even think about undoing that time to then leaving, to then possibly starting again and then finding somebody else and then building that house. Now you're thinking, oh my God, that may be another 10, 20 years. Yeah. And so that fear of having to start over or the seed to the tree can be so overwhelming for people. They yeah. just don't change or they don't make that, you know, that pivot. Um, so how do you go from, okay, I want the seed to become the big oak tree. And do you put in then steps along the way to do that? Yeah. Uh, I do two things. I put a date on the calendar and I put money on the table. And so every time I have some big change I want to make, I know what my two motivators are, which is if it's on a calendar, I'll feel like I have to do it at some point. Yeah, did you put your, your divorce on the calendar? I put the divorce on the calendar. It was private, marked private, but uh, it was on my literal work calendar. And uh, I don't know if I did it on that day. I did it before the day, whatever it was. Mm. And, um, and I think if I hadn't done that, I never would have done it. And uh, it's the same now. It probably drives my current husband crazy because I will tell him often, like, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. Um, and... And so I think if you put it on the calendar and you put money on the table, those two things drive me. I come from, you know, an immigrant family. I didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so if I put money into something, I will pay attention to it. It, you know, money to me feels like a trade of my hours for something. And I can't get those hours back. So I pay attention to that. And so, for instance, with the divorce, I paid for my therapist. I paid for my divorce attorney. And then I put it on the calendar. And those three things meant like, I'm going to move through this in some way, shape or form. And my out for it was if I decided that I didn't want to get divorced, then with my divorce attorney, I could just draft up like a better financial understanding because I realized, oh, I don't even know where our money is. I like I gave all my power up. He knew where all this stuff was. I mean, I think at that point, at some point during the whole process, he cut off my bank accounts and my credit card. So I was like broke, but had money and had like a, you know, seven figure job at the time, but couldn't access any of the cash. And so I was like, oh, okay. Worst comes to worst, I'm just going to use this divorce attorney to draft up some better paperwork for financial understanding. Um, but those two things make a big difference. And so what are your levers? Pick two or three levers that you know motivate Lisa. If it's like, if I tell my mom I'm going to do something, I know she's going to nag me nonstop, so I'll probably do it. Or, you know, I tell Tom something, I know Tom's going to hold me to it, just like your speech. In, speech. So You'll probably only tell Tom if you really want to get something done, <laughs> no, yeah. right? And so pick those two or three levers because those levers can, again, be the bullies to your life. Dude, this has been so much freaking fun. Same. I could talk to you forever. Um, where can people find you and all the amazing things you're doing? And your content's freaking fire, by the way. Thank you. Um, Cody Sanchez on all the socials and contrarianthinking.co is our newsletter. 